Please remain standing. The reading of the scriptures this morning. I'm going to read this morning from the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. I'm going to read beginning at verse 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The word of God for the people of God. God. Please be seated. It hardly seems possible to me that I only have about six weeks left in the first two years I've been here. But it's true. Only about six weeks. When I read this letter and thought about preaching this text for this morning, I had a lot on my mind and on my heart. And since that time, things kind of keep falling into place. And I can say that's been true about the some 23 months almost that I've been here serving as your pastor and you as the body of Christ that God has called me to serve. This letter brings with it unusual traits. When you start thinking about this letter, you have to admit that there's controversy about its authorship. There's controversy about to whom it was written. There's even controversy about to why it was written. But that has not stopped the church from recognizing for centuries upon centuries that this truly is the Word of God being spoken to His people. It's only within the last 150 years that the church has kind of quarreled about some of those issues of scholarship. Most of which, quite frankly, might not be the most interesting topic on our minds, you think? But at any rate, what is said in this book is much clearer than some people would have us believe. And it certainly is clear in these startling verses as he begins this this letter. As Paul, I believe, was writing this letter to the church, not just at Ephesus, but also to the church in the area... It becomes in a more general letter, even like that of Romans, with less personal talk and yet more talk about the church in its completeness, the entire body of Christ. Addressed mainly to Gentiles, is true, but all the church could draw from the words that we read here and we study here. And so it becomes at least a strong letter of encouragement. And it becomes, within its content, a definition of who the the body of Christ are. 
within that framework of defining who we are so we might better understand what we should do and who we should be becoming, it also encourages us and brings us together in unity, helping us to understand the mystery of God in Christ, all kinds of church words that we love to write about. You cannot explain all the words in this book. You cannot explain all the phrases and exactly what they mean because some of them are not found just everywhere throughout the text. But what you can certainly understand and anyone can grasp is the depth of Paul's commitment as he writes these letters to the church. It's not even difficult for us to ascertain how they speak to us. It's very obvious that Paul is writing to the church and has always been writing to the church when he pins these letters. We are the body of Christ. The church is the place where the word of God speaks. It is the place and the instrument through which God has chosen to speak to his world. God will forgive us in the West for individualizing the scriptures. God will, so rest at ease. We like to talk about faith in these United States as something only between us and God. And while it is that, it is not only that. In fact, that is just a small part of what unity in Christ means. Whenever we step aside from the idea that we are one in Christ and that we together represent the body of Christ and that when we need each other in order to be the body of Christ, we have taken ourselves out of the heritage of the Scriptures and out of the heritage of the church, which is, I say again, God's chosen instrument to reach out to his people. We simply cannot be as effective individually as we can be when we are united. First of all, no one of us can embody what it means to be Christian. Oh, I know you think that I'm probably Christ, you know, in the flesh and centuries later. Or perhaps your spouse has told you they are. Or perhaps someone on TV has made it clear that they are the one. The reality is we are all incomplete and ever shall be. None of us is perfect. None of us have all that it takes to give to the world a clear picture of who God is except Jesus, the man who walked this earth. And only as the church embodies all that Christ is, individually and together, can we possibly approach even some small part of who Jesus was. Jesus is just that large. Jesus is just that amazing. Jesus is just that awesome. The word I'm glad to say we have slacked off on a little bit. So I thought it's safe to use again. God is amazingly awesome. And moves and does things in ways we cannot comprehend. What I like about this letter is... When it turns to this place, it reminds us of something that sometimes we don't always reflect in the church, I'm sorry to say. And that is the picture of one who has been in some direct or indirect way very responsible for this church, talking about their love for the people of that community, the church in general, I would say, in that area, and how he feels about them. Perhaps the greatest difficulty for God in the unsaved part of his population 
is that the church sometimes digresses from the love that has been taught in Jesus Christ for everyone to where it becomes a contest between a pastor and a church or between how we do church. Sometimes even within church bodies that have been together for years and years, things happen or occur that seem to pull them apart. And the unbelieving church sits back and says, yeah, see, that's Christianity. Or perhaps they see the weakest part of one person's life in a moment when they are less like Christ than they have been in the last 50 years, and someone says, see, that's how a Christian acts. Well, you see, just one look at any one of us or one look at any moment in the history of a church does not define them. But rather, it is a whole that must be looked at. It's just like in Scripture, you can't see a full picture of God in three verses. You need the whole book, even though some parts of that book are more difficult to understand, and some parts are the process that leads us toward the fullness of Jesus Christ, they still need each other in, whole, in part in order to be the whole. And so when the Word of God speaks, rarely is it something that is centered only in one thought or one moment in time, but rather it is meant for a particular place at a particular moment and then can be used thereafter in various kinds of ways, to express the same kind of meaning that it flows from the original meaning of the text where we do what we do best, interpreting the Scriptures. That is when the Word of God speaks most clearly. And prayer says, when he, and Paul says when he's writing this letter, because I have heard of what? Your faith and your love. Your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for All the saints. (laughs) It was so cute when the children sang, right? You looked at their little bodies, and they were as much alike as little angels from heaven, and they were as as much different as anything you can use to describe them, right? Voices were anywhere, everywhere, off the map, on the map. Uh, body signs and languages going in all directions. One thing they were, what they were, though, was they were united and making this a special moment for you, and they succeeded. I heard you just swelling with excitement as you watched them. Yes, the Jackson theory of proclamation is alive and well, right? I mean, they're alive and well. Boldness with clarity, with grins, looking so Innocent, they truly looked like the body of Christ ought to look. Only if we can look so that way so clearly, continually, and yet we struggle. But Paul says, because of the faith that you have in Jesus Christ, and because of the fact you have basically shown your love to all the believers, I want to stop there for just a moment. I want to stop there because whenever we talk about the church, we sometimes talk about our own church, We sometimes talk about our denomination. We sometimes talk about the church universal. We must keep in context that the love of God has been spread and was meant to be spread around the world through all kinds of differing cultures where the word of God must diffuse and be infused into the cultures of every kind and people, into every language and place. So when we talk about the love of Jesus Christ, We are talking about a love that is literally meant for everyone to receive and for everyone to share within the body of Christ. There are no stepchildren. There are no denominations that are better than others. 
There are no denominations that are without Christ if they have at their heart the gospel of Christ. Are some denominations better expressing the word? I would argue that I could make an argument for almost every denomination of the two or three things they do best. But no denomination that does it all best. I would argue that the denominations are a gift from God for us because we're so different. Imagine yourself as the body of Christ gathered in one place from all the major religions in the same proportionate order that they occur in this country. Can you imagine worship? It would be more than a stuck key or machine or whatever that was. I looked for a pocket knife and remembered I didn't have one to think about helping you. But the reality is that we can't be the church in any one spot by ourselves. We can't take care of all the needy in Carrollton. We can't preach the gospel for the, so that everyone hears it throughout Carrollton. It takes different expressions. Even right now, the gospel is being proclaimed right down at the other end of the building in a language and in a way that people from Columbia can relate to. And it's so going on all over this building. We must keep in our hearts that Jesus didn't create a a faith for the United States of America, but rather for all his children who would believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then the way he prays for them, because of that, he says, I'm praying for you. Prayer must unite the leadership and the followership in every congregation. Anytime you find a congregation where the pastoral staff and the congregation aren't meeting each other in appropriate ways and sharing love and concern for each other and sharing the mission of Christ together, you've got a church that is ineffective to some degree. Anytime you have a church where the people don't have confidence in the church staff, all of those who are working the church staff, and supporting them in prayer and love and and with their assistance in whatever way they can, then you have a church that is not functioning on all cylinders. When you find yourself at some point in your history where the match between the congregation and their call and the match between the pastor and the pastor's call and the match between the staff and the church's needs all meet, wow, what a place is that, right? I bet you right now if I ask you to name those places in your life, where you've experienced all those things together, you would call that your most joyful time in the church. And it is. When you go into a church where the Spirit is calling any of those groups to do something different than what what the rest of the body is able to understand, then you have rough spots. You have moments where thoughts and plans have to be manipulated and constructed in such a way that they all can understand one another. But at any time when you have a situation like that, even when it's rough and bumpy, if every part of the church, staff, pastoral staff, and congregation, if they are united in love, any and every obstacle can be overcome without the church being taken down by it. It's the same thing I preach to young couples when they get married. Love is meant to be forever. And the only way love fails is if one of the two of you quit loving. They always look at me a little bit at that moment like, what did he just say? Well, let's go on. It is that moment when they're getting married after all. But the reality is that nothing can separate people except they fail to love each other. That's my simplified version of matrimony and counseling. 
Now you say, well, that's just not true. Marriage is a very complicated preacher. Yeah, you're right, and I've never experienced that. <laughs> Being married to the angel that I've been married to and talking with so many angelic couples through these last 37 years, I know that some things seem beyond love, but sometimes people can't seem to love anyone more than themselves, and they fall prey to addictions, to stresses, and to trials. They fall prey to falling away from Christ in the same way that they sometimes fall prey to falling away from the center of their love in days past. But as long as two people are actively loving and engaged with one another, you see, notice I said two people. It is possible for marriage to dissolve because one person departs from their love. In the same way, I believe it is true in the United Methodist doctrine, I'm certain that it's true, that someone who's in love with Jesus can decide to be out of love with Jesus. You see, love is a present tense ongoing action that people have for each other and it is a matter of the choice and the will much more than it is a matter of the feeling I can't tell you how many times couples have come to me and said in the years well I just don't feel loved I usually excuse myself go to the restroom clear my throat and gag a little (laughs) go back in and said whoever told you that love was all about your feelings Feelings are much overrated. I am a living witness. You say, what does that mean? It means that although Sally has felt like killing me several times, (laughs) I am still breathing and walking. Love is more than a feeling. Now, feelings need to be engaged. Don't get me wrong. But the mind and the will are what sets us apart from other animals in this creation. If we exercise that, anything can be overcome by love. But he's praying for them, and the first thing he says is, and then there's three points to this message. I know you think I've already made one of them, but I haven't. <laughs> In his prayer, he is praying that believers will receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Wisdom, practical Knowledge about how to live right because of what you know and have understood of the scriptures and who God is. He is praying that they will understand God so well that the way they live will be affected. And it's, again, a continuous kind of thing that's going on and on. The Spirit continues to teach us, and we continue to grow. When we're teenagers, we understand the gospel in certain lights. Then we go off to college, and sometimes we, for the first time, hear the gospel. And you come home excited and tell your parents about that, and they say, did you not hear anything that was said to you the first 12 years when I drug you through church? And sometimes they just don't. Sometimes the clarity of the wisdom and the knowledge do not come together for them even though they're professing it with their mouth, they're believing it at such a stage that when they get a new and a brighter vision, it enlightens them even more. And praise be to God, that possibility exists for every human who believes in Jesus Christ. To whatever you have attained in terms of understanding of God through the life of Jesus and the study of the Scriptures, 
to whatever you have experienced at this point in your life, you are still breathing and living, and God is not through revealing himself to you unless you are through listening and being moved by the word as you continue to grow and mature in your relationship to God. 42 years. Right. 42 years I've been married to that woman. And vice versa, as best I can tell. Do we understand each other completely? Well, let's just say we haven't changed each other's mind about several things that are part of the ongoing process. Are we the same now that we were? No, because along the way, after nearly eight years of marriage, we welcomed a little child called Sarah into our lives that we named Sarah. And from the first bath I gave her in that, that operating room, that nursing room, from the first moment of delivery, my life was changed. There were things I could not understand until I held our first child in our hands. I could not understand children, even though I knew I was the perfect parent <laughs> before I had one. And as Sarah grew up, we came to be firmly convinced that we were the perfect parents. She was so compliant with her little personality, except she wouldn't eat. And then, five and a half years later, God blessed us with Rachel. Rachel, perfect in her own ways. But Rachel taught us another lesson, that we were not the perfect parents we thought we were. And that her spirit was completely different, though she looked like her sister, though they came through the same parents as best we can tell. They were not the same people. They were unique. And we begin to learn what it's like to have a strong-willed child. And I delighted in watching Rachel break Sally. (laughs) And then as Rachel got older, I didn't delight so much as she broke Doug. Because things happen along the way. We would never have been the same people that we are had we not had that experience and God had not taught us through it. We would never have been the same people that we are had we not had been blessed with the years that we kept Sally's parents in our home, nursing them through their last days and last years. We would never have the hearts we have today had God not put us in with congregations that broke us down, loved the good spots, and sanded the spots that were still rough. We would never have been the people we are today. Not that we're anything special, but we just are who we are at this place in our lives. And so are you. But every day is yet a new opportunity to have the spirit of wisdom and knowledge of God. And I pray that you don't give up on that because in my mind, you are the finest congregation that I have ever pastored in that respect. And I thank God for you regularly in my prayers because you have received the wisdom of God and the knowledge of God, not just through your understanding of his son, but by your study of the scriptures. You have grown as individuals and as a congregation. And I thank God for you every time I think about what you do with everyone who becomes a part of this congregation. You are remarkable in how you bring people to spiritual maturity. And I thank you for that. Secondly, he says, not only do I pray for that, but I pray that you will know what is the hope of his calling. That comes with that enlightenment that you know what God is calling you to do. 
Secondly, that you'll understand the riches of his inheritance in the saints. Whenever we come together and are the body of Christ, the riches of his inheritance that he's talking about in this text is not our riches and that we get to go to heaven, but are rather God's riches and that he inherits you and body of believers everywhere. God considers you his inheritance, and that's why he's so jealous of you in terms of how the world impacts your life. That's why God covets time with you and opportunity with you to convey to you more about himself in the hopes of that with wisdom and understanding, you will understand your calling in him and therefore glorify him in heaven and in the eyes of the world. What a great blessing you are to God every time you're successful successful as a congregation in accomplishing his will. And then he says, lastly, that we will know the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. The scriptures really don't know anything about weak-kneed Christians unless they're baby Christians. As Christians grow up, though the world will buffet us, Though the world will in the end take our lives, in that sense, Friday night, late Friday night, almost Saturday morning, Lisa Anacleto went to be with God after a long struggle with many health issues, a difficult life. But when that moment came for her, she knew that when she left this world, God would receive her into his hands. She knew that. That's our hope of his calling. That's his power and raising Christ from the dead, so that God defeated through Jesus the greatest fear of us all, and that is physical death. And he gave us life eternally as part of a display of his power. But it's not just in dying that we receive power to live eternally, but rather it's in every day that we live, and the Spirit of Christ works through us, that we exemplify the power of God through the work of the Spirit in us and through us. In us, by the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, the faithfulness, the self-control. All those things that come from us as a byproduct of the Spirit living within us changes us. Never accept the premise of most of your world. Because most of the world says... People are just who they are, and that's the way they're going to be. They're not going to be changed. That is a lie of Satan. And it's perpetuated very often in congregations. Don't you be part of it. God can change any heart. God can change any mind. God can change any character deficiencies that any of us have. There is no limit upon the power of God and God's spirit to invade us and to change us except that we each as individuals or as a church puts on God. God has no limits. Oh, we can shut God out, but that's not God's problem. That's our problem. Whatever we struggle with, whatever is a part of our life that is not of Christ, God can overcome because God has no end to God's power. We have a radically different future because we are in Christ. 
And we should remember that every day in every way that we can. I think I have one more page of this sermon. I do. Closing points. Where is it? It's right here. Don't, don't get disturbed. I'm going to wait till I find it. The church is the body of Christ. We are meant to be in community, a worldwide fellowship. We are meant to be in community, a praying body of Christ out of our love for one another. We are meant to be, as a community, a thinking people of faith. We are meant to have power unbelievable. One of the best things about the United Methodist Church is that it's a thinking denomination. Now, I know that some of you are getting on guard right now. That's all right. The only way you get wisdom and the only way you get knowledge is by thinking about it, understanding God and who God is. Does the church sometimes take human understanding and knowledge too far? Yes. Every denomination does. We are all limited by our ability to think and our abilities to apply ourselves to really understand. But without thinking Christians, then life would be reduced to feelings. Have I already said something about feelings this morning? I think I have. Feelings are wonderful. But a thinking Christian who is also a loving Christian is the best weapon that God has to take on Satan. When we have the wisdom of practical living combined with the knowledge of who God really is and who God is calling us to be, and when we have the love of God for others in our heart so powerful as Jesus did that we can express it in ways that are accepted from one culture to another and around this world, then we have the power of God manifest in the body of Christ. Paul says a lot of mouthfuls in his letter to the church that was entitled to the Ephesians, and we thank God for it. May we be the church and the bride of Christ that God has called us to be. If you're here this morning and you don't know if you are that, but you want to become that, I have good news for you. God is here and has been all morning and would love to receive you as his child. If you're here this morning and you are God's child, but you can't honestly say that you have been really tied to the body of Christ, perhaps you have fallen prey to the United States theology, which is a theology of Western individualism. And there's some great things about Western individualism. But hear me clearly. God is best expressed in community, period. It's the way God intended it. And it's the way it will always be. If you're here today and you feel like you're alone, you don't have to be alone. Because I can assure you there's room for you in this family. And we would love to meet you. Or to take you to lunch and tell you about this congregation. If you got pot roast in the oven, it might get really dry, but it'll be all right. If you soak it in water for three or four days. (laughs) It'll be perfect feed for your pets. But that food will not be nearly as important to your soul as being nursed by a body of believers like these people are right here. 
We invite you to come if you need to as we stand and sing together.